Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I've entitled my message, The Healed Heart. The Healed Heart. This message was really birthed out of the last time I spoke. And the last time I spoke was birthed out of Ashley speaking before that. And so I'm just flowing with what I believe God is wanting us as a church to capture. There was something that I shared last time I spoke. There was a God drop to me and a God drop to many based upon the feedback I received. And I just want to pick up on that this morning. And funnily enough, coincidental maybe in the plan of God, more than likely, that it coincides with the year anniversary of my heart operation. This time yesterday, I was in bed looking something like the photo we'll show you in a moment. Uh, that was me not too long ago. This time last year, having just undergone an operation on my heart, open heart surgery, and that was me. And uh, just got to be honest with you, grateful to be here today with you all. And so I want to speak about the healed heart. Everyone say healed. Healed. Amen. And so if you turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, we're going to read a portion of Scripture starting at verse 1 and reading right through to verse 9. And it is Jesus speaking. We know that because it's written in red. Yeah. And it says in verse 1, that same day Jesus went out of the house and he sat by the lake. Such a large crowd gathered around him and he got into a boat and he sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. And then he told them many things in parables, saying this, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he scattered the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because there was, uh, the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. The other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, and thirty times that which was sown. Then it says in verse 9, Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit of God is saying. I'm trusting today. You're not just going to be hearing my voice. And you're not just going to be the, hearing the voice that is your self-talk but that we're going to be hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit because He's wanting to capture our attention and our imagination this morning. So I pray that we would just dial into His voice this morning as I attempt to share with you. And I pray that every other voice other than God's voice would be silenced in our midst this morning. Jesus had an incredible way of capturing people's attention. On this particular occasion, he gets into a boat, goes a little bit offshore, and there were thousands of people that he began to speak to using the water as a little bit of amplification. I know that's what happens because when I was learning to sailboard down West Lakes, what I didn't realise is just how much the water carried my voice. And as you can imagine, when I was trying to learn something that I'd never done before, it's very frustrating. Have you ever done something you've never done before and not mastered it immediately? 
For a guy like me, that is frustrating. I just, I've seen it on the television. I thought, I can do that. And I kid you not, for the life of me, try as I might, time and time and time again, I'd fall off. I'd get on the board. I'd try and pull the sail up. I'd be wobbling. I'd fall off. And my dad's here. He was watching and listening. (laughs) And I found myself getting louder and louder. And what I was saying cannot be repeated. All I can say in my defence is I was a teenager. I didn't know any better. And the stuff that came out of my mouth was not nice. It wasn't Christian. But you know what? Hey, no one else heard it, right? What I found out later is not only did my mum and dad who were down watching me hear it, but I think the whole of West Lakes heard it. Water makes for an incredible amplification. And so Jesus is on this boat using the water to amplify His voice because He didn't have stadiums like this and He didn't have microphones that we use today. And there He intently spoke and He taught them many things, many things over and over and over again. But at the heart of His teaching, every one of His teaching, He wanted to implement change. Jesus is a change specialist. He specialises in changed lives. If you want change in your life today, you are in the best possible place because that's what Jesus excels in. He excels in changing people's lives. He's not just into modification, but He's into transformation. See, modification is less than God's best for you. Modification is merely an alteration or an adjustment. Jesus did not come into your life, nor did He come into mine just to modify, to tweak your life. He came to totally transform your way of thinking so that your life is totally transformed. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says it this way, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. I came that you might have life and have life with a capital L. I came that you might have life and have it to the max. That's what Jesus wanted for us. He did not ever talk about modification. He didn't make, talk about making your life mildly better. He talked about entering our life, entering our hearts and changing our lives from the inside out. See, when we get born again, we experience a metamorphosis. A metamorphosis. A metamorphosis is a complete change in form, in structure and in substance. It's what happens when a caterpillar, you know this, it's what happens when a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. Paul, the great apostle, says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. And this is one of my life verses. It's one of my go-to verses. It's one of those verses I committed to memory since I was a teenager. It says, therefore, if anyone, and that's you, anyone, male, female, black, white, red, yellow, anyone is in Christ. The new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. You see, modification just makes you a better caterpillar. But Jesus will have none of that. Jesus is not into turning caterpillars into better caterpillars. That's not the role of Christ. Christ wants you to have a metamorphosis and He wants there to be a total change in your life. A metamorphosis allows you to become a butterfly. 
And the great news is butterflies can go places that caterpillars can't. And God wants to take you places that you could never go in your own strength. He wants to take you to places that your wildest imagination could never dream or even hope for. There are certain things that are over a caterpillar, but are under a butterfly. I don't know if you've noticed, we've just done a soft launch with our new logo, but what you'll see is a capital V and an underscore. And that capital V and an underscore is part of our new logo, which we're going to release fully in a month or so. In our Heart for the House campaign, signifies that victory can only be found above the line. You can't experience a victorious Christian life when you live below the line. But you have to live above the line because you and I, according to the Word of God, are seated in heavenly places, far above all rule, principalities and powers. That's where our strength is. That's where our hope is. That's where our joy is. You want peace? It's found above the line, not below the line. You want strength today? It's found above the line, not below the line. You want victory with a capital V? It's found above the line, never, ever, ever below the line. We were not called to live a caterpillar life. We were called to live the butterfly life. And butterflies live above the line. They go places that caterpillars do not go and cannot go. Amen. I believe this with all of my heart. And one of the most frustrating things to me as a teenager was watching older people who I thought should have known better based upon the fact that they were older than me and had been around longer than me and had more of the Word of God in them than I did. I thought that would equal more passion, more life, more energy. And so it confused me when I saw their lives, very mediocre for many of them, not all of them. Thank God for the ones that weren't like that, but there were many, there were many. And I just thought, man, I don't wanna read a butterfly Bible and live a caterpillar life. And I had people trying to tell me, no, 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 you're, you're, just, you're just getting too excited, Tony. I said, no, 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 I've been told that I'm a new creation. I've been told that the old is gone. I've been told that I can have life to the full, life to the max. And I've found I've had to hold on to that and fight for that. And if you're in the same boat, I want to say, fight on, don't give up, don't give in. I think a good picture of a lot of Christians today is a caterpillar with some mechanical wings. And they're trying to fly in their own strength. Got these little gizmos. That is not the Christian well, That's not the Christian life. The Christian life takes place where we have a total transformation take place. The only way you get your wings is to let God put you in a cocoon and to put you through the process of change. I don't know about you, but I want to experience the reality of this change. And the only way this change is going to take place is through sanctification. And sanctification is a big old word that simply talks about the process whereby the Holy Spirit continually addresses the issues of our heart. See, the question that needs to be addressed today is this. If Jesus is a change specialist, and He is, why haven't some areas of my life changed? Is that fair to say? 
I, I sense some of you have been getting really excited this morning as I'm sharing, like, yes, that's right. And because of our Pentecostal heritage, we've been to conference after conference. We've been to meeting after meeting and we've been stirred and we've had the gifts of God fanned into flame. And yet we always come unstuck with, well, why am I still struggling with this? I love motivating people. I love encouraging people. I love being up here on stage doing exactly what I'm doing. And there is a place for that. But there's also a place whereby we dig a little bit deeper and we ask the questions that often don't get answered in conferences that we get motivated in. And so if everything I've just said is true, that we can live a butterfly life and not just exist as caterpillars, then why is it we struggle to change in certain areas of our life? This is the very issue, I believe, that Jesus was addressing in Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 to 9. He gets on the boat and He engages in what I call a crucial conversation. You don't make disciples without crucial conversations. Motivation alone won't make for disciples. There comes a time where you've got to sit down and have crucial conversations. This was one of many crucial conversations that Jesus had with His disciples and the crowds. And on this particular occasion, as He often did, He spoke in parables. Parables are illustrations. Parables are stories. Parables help us understand that which is hard to understand. Jesus was never shallow but he was always simple. In other words, he put the cookies on the bottom jar so that we could reach them. He wasn't like many of us parents who put the cookies on the top jar so the kids can't get the cookies. Jesus made it really simple for us to grab a hold of really deep truths. But he was never shallow. Deepness and maturity is not revealed in your articulation, but in your execution. And in this particular parable, Jesus highlights four types of soils. In other words, soils ain't soils. One, He said there was the soil that was on the path that people just walked all over. Then there was the soil that fell among the rocks. Then there was a soil with the weeds. And then there was the good soil. Now, what you need to understand about this parable that Jesus told, He said, farmer had seed and it was the same seed. The same seed fell in different soils. And on one of the soils, there was a harvest, 130, 60 fold return, which says that the seed was not dud seed. It tells us that the seed was good seed. And it says when good seed falls on good soil, you can expect to return. But it also says when good seed falls on the pathway or good seed falls among the weeds or good seed falls among the rocks, we can't expect the same return. In other words, it is the condition of the soil, not just the quality of the seed that determines whether or not my life bears fruit that is consistent with what is being sown into it. In Matthew 13, verses 1 to 9, Jesus articulates the parable. 
But later in the same chapter, he explains the parable. And when he explains the parable, you soon realise that Jesus is not talking about farming. You soon realise he's not talking about soil. And you soon realise he's not talking about seed. You soon come to the conclusion that this story is purely a metaphor to talk to the people and have a crucial conversation about the condition of one's heart. The context of this portion of Scripture is Jesus addressing the disciples' hearts. And there are two takes on what this means. One is used more than the other. One is that this four soils represent four metaphors of four types of heart. And that would be true and is true. But I want to go a little bit deeper today and say this, that I believe it also represents the four types of places that the one heart can have. We've often heard it said there are four kinds of hearts or four types of hearts. The trouble is when you do that, we always place ourselves in the good heart category. But I want to go a little bit deeper this morning and suggest that maybe within the one heart, there are four areas of our heart. Even biology tells me that the heart is made up of four parts. So maybe, just maybe, Jesus was highlighting the four areas of one's heart. You might say to me, Tony, do you have a good heart? To that, I would say, that depends which part you're talking about. See, when I went and had heart surgery only a year ago, and we don't need to see the photo again, it's too gross. But it wasn't my whole heart that needed fixing. They called it open heart surgery. And it can conjure up that every part of my heart was broken and every part of my heart needed to be fixed. That just wasn't true. In actual fact, there was much of my heart that was good. In actual fact, when they opened me up, there was much of my heart they didn't even touch. But there was this one valve that had been so severely damaged because of my blood infection that was bad. It was damaged. It was broken. It was hurting. And it needed fixing. And so much of my heart was good, but there was an area that wasn't. And it was that area that put me in hospital. And it was that area of my heart that needed to be fixed so that healing could take place. And I stand here one year, one day later saying, my heart is healed. Are you following me this morning? See, some areas of my heart are good soil. And some areas of your heart is good soil. In actual fact, there's good in every one of us right here, right now. There's good in you. There's a part of your heart that is good. And that's to be commended and celebrated. But there are other areas in my heart that represent more the soil that's on the path. The stuff that gets walked over and the birds come and take away immediately. I'm going to be honest with you, there's sometimes I've read my Bible and I've closed my Bible 
And I put my Bible away. And honestly, as I walk away, I'm thinking, I don't even know what I just read. Is there a brave man or a woman who can say, yeah, I've experienced that? That's a part of my heart that was struggling to grasp what I just read. I just received it. And no sooner than I just received it, it's gone. And there's times I have to go back to my I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to fix this. I'm going to sit down and read. This is what Jesus is talking about. There are other areas in my life, if I'm honest, it's like the, the weedy soil. And the weeds represent worries. Now, I'm not a worrier of note. But there are some areas of my life that cause me to worry more than others. I'm going to be honest with you, there's some things I don't even think about, let alone worry about. Some of the things that keep you up at night, I don't even think about. But I've got to be honest with you, last night when Mitchie went out with his girlfriend of one whole month and went to the movies with his mates and he said he'd be at home at 11. Now, I'm not a worrier, but I've got to be honest, it wasn't until 11.05 when he was home that a measure of peace came on my life. Not because I'm a worrier, but because there's part of my heart that was very, very concerned to the point of worry. Has anyone been guilty of that? So maybe just maybe Jesus is highlighting that there are four areas of our heart that actually need addressing. Because good seed only germinates and produces fruit on good soil. And if three parts of my heart aren't good soil, there's a chance that you're only hearing 25% of what I'm saying today. Then he talks about the rocky soil, and that's where I want to park it today. That's really what I want to draw out today, the rocky soil. And Jesus says, these ones represent those that receive the Word of God with gladness. And we've seen much of that. We saw it last week at Winter Project. I've seen it conference after conference. I've seen it Sunday after Sunday. I've seen it my whole Christian life where people come to the front. They put their hands up. They're excited. They say, forever I will follow Jesus. They receive it with gladness. But then over time, we don't see them anymore. And Jesus says they can't bear fruit because they don't have any root. And the reason is because there are rocks in the soil that stop the roots going deep enough. And it's these rocks that Jesus is addressing is talking about the hard places of our heart. See, some rocks are underneath the soil. And the only way you're ever going to find those rocks is by digging. They're not on the surface, they're under the surface. And you'll never know they're there until we start digging. And this is what the Holy Spirit does best. And how we respond to the Holy Spirit's digging is really important as to whether our heart gets healed in order to receive the Word of God. See, the hard places of our hearts are the result of three things. Number one, wounds. See, you can't get close to people without getting wounded. It's just a given. The closer you get to people, the more hurt you are going to be. 
It's just life. It doesn't make you a Christian or a non-Christian. It just makes you a human being. When you get close to people, it causes wounds. We all suffer emotional injuries. And let's be honest, it hurts. If I was to ask for a show of hand, and I'm not, who's ever been hurt by a person, every hand to a man and woman would go up, I'm sure. The question is, not have you been hurt, that's a given. The question is, do you want to get healed? Because that's all I'm interested in is solution. Do you want to get healed from the hurt you've experienced? And as I said two weeks ago, many of us confused a healed heart with a hard heart. We confuse a healed heart with a hard heart. You see, when I was diagnosed with a damaged valve, I've got to be honest with you, I was in no pain. I certainly wasn't hurting. I would have said there's nothing wrong with my heart. I'm healed. I'm fine. But just because you don't feel hurt doesn't mean you're not hurt. My heart was hurt, but I didn't feel hurt. And it still needed someone to get in there and fix what needed healing. Sometimes we confuse a healed heart with a hard heart because we think that I don't feel anymore. But a hard heart can cause you not to feel. In actual fact, if we're not feeling, it's probably a good sign that we're not healed. Because a healed heart feels again. It remains soft and pliable in order to be able to engage again. And through engaging again, we're going to feel again and we're going to get hurt again. So let us not confuse a healed heart with a hard heart. How you handle that hurt determines whether or not it is good soil or Rocky soil. And if there are rocks in our heart or hard places in our heart, we won't receive the Word. You may know this to be true. I've spoken to people who've been married and divorced and I've spoken to kids who are yet to be married, but they're very opinionated about marriage. For many people, marriage is a no-go zone. Don't talk to me about marriage. Good people, good heart, do anything for you. But this area of their life has become hard. Don't talk to me about marriage. You know what I'm on about? What about this one? This one's going to hit home. I love Jesus. I just don't like the church. Love Jesus. And let's be honest. Jesus is easy to love. He's awesome. Laid down his life for me. Died for me. Rose again. Seated in heavenly places. I mean, it's easy. But you lot, you're harder to love. And I'm harder to love than Jesus. And there are many people, in actual fact, the biggest church in Adelaide right now are not going to church. They are the disgruntled church. And they've changed their theology to say you don't need to meet together. Which means so much of the New Testament should never be written. Because much of the New Testament is how to live together in community. And what you do, and you take it to the authorities of the church. and you, There's so much that if their new theology was true, we'd just throw out half the New Testament. So that can't be the answer. The answer cannot be you don't go to church. The answer has to be we have to soften our heart in order to receive church as part of God's plan again. But I love Jesus. I know you do. I know. 
He's amazing. I love him too. But this part, you lot. And the question is, do we want to be healed? Or are we going to stick with our theology that says you don't have to go to church? And it's everywhere. It's rife. Like I said, the biggest church today in Adelaide are not going to church. They're a disgruntled group of people and they've found each other. But Jesus is building his church. And this notion that where two or three are gathered, there is Jesus in the midst, assuming we're talking about believers, is true. But it doesn't make it church. When I leave this place and go home tonight, there's five of us getting together. That's more than two or three. That's five of us getting together. And Jesus is definitely in the midst. It doesn't mean it's church. That's what we call family. (laughs) Got the same last name, family. And when you get together with your friends, two or three of you get together, that's not church. That's you hanging with your friends. Let's not confuse the two. And when you get together at work and Jesus is there because you've got some believers at work, great, but that's work. This is church. And I believe if we would let Holy Spirit into our lives, into the hard areas of our heart, He could soften it again where we have Jesus and His church. Where we have Jesus and we're open to marriage again. Are you with me, church? Don't stone me, please. A healed heart is one that has removed the wall that was built by an offence. That's when you're truly healed. When the wall has been removed. And remember, it's the same wall that keeps others out is the same wall that keeps God from getting in. So if you keep the wall up, then the word can't get in. Because the seed, the good seed, we established it was good seed because on good soil it produced But good seed on a hard heart will never produce fruit. Good seed on a worried heart will never produce fruit. Good seed on the path will never produce fruit. It's only good seed on good soil. And so our job is to let the Holy Spirit do a work in our heart so that the worries... And the hard areas and the quickness to forget certain things gets adjusted in order for the Word of God to take root. Our wounds, secondly, our weakness. Our weaknesses cause hardness of heart. See, we don't pick our strengths. We can develop our strengths, but we don't pick them. And likewise, our weaknesses. We can act on our weaknesses, but we don't pick them. Our weaknesses are our leanings, iniquities, propensities, idiosyncrasies, and our ungodly behaviour. And if we're honest, we all lean in different ways. We all have different leanings when it comes to our weaknesses. You might look at someone and say, I can't believe you struggle with that. Well, that's fine, but they do. The question is, what do you struggle with? Because every one of us has weaknesses. Every, Every one of us has areas that we struggle with. And so I know some guys that they just don't struggle with anger. They're just like so placid and so almost docile. And if that's you, all due respect, but you know who you are. And it takes a lot to get them angry. 
You have to push every button and even then you may not get a response. It's just just not the way they lean. It's not the way they roll. It's not who they are. Other people, on the other hand, just you just think about poking the bear. And that, rah, I mean, naught to a, you know, naught to a hundred. And we say, oh, they're such a bad person. No, they've just got a leaning toward anger. What's your leaning? What's your weakness? Because our weaknesses can cause our heart to become hard. If you've tried to overcome something for a long period of time and you don't because of this weakness, it does something to your heart. The result is your heart can become hard. I've tried to deal with my anger. I've tried it and I just get more and more angry. And, and so you get to the place, I'm just not going to try anymore. I know for me, one of the things I struggle with is patience. I've told this story many times before. I don't struggle less with patience today than when I was a teenager. I think by nature, I'm just, my leaning, I'm just really impatient. Is anyone else out there? Please give me one hand. Anyone? Oh, thank you, Jesus. I see that hand. I see that hand. God bless you. God bless you. Give you a Bible. I'll give you a donut. I'll thank you, Jesus. And I wouldn't say I'm any more patient today. But here's the amazing thing about my life. I've got a history and a track record of patience. It's not a long list of people who've been leading the same church for 20 odd years. And you don't do that if you're impatient. And you've not been able to do that. Because I recognise one of my weaknesses, one of my leanings is impatience. And so I bring that hard area, that dark area of my heart to God. like, help me in this area. I can't do this without you helping me. I'm not better than somebody else. Your anger is not better than my frustra- uh, impatience and frustration. <laughs> We're all in this together. We've just got different areas, different leanings. And I haven't arrived. And it's a daily, God, will you help me? There are some areas that don't bother me. Some have addictive tendencies. Get addicted to alcohol, get addicted to gambling. I mean, gambling for me, it's just never, ever, 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 ever interests me. Ever. I don't even get it. But some people are just riddled with this addiction. And their heart has been closed off and become hardened because they feel like I could never break this. You can. Alcohol, drugs, whatever it is. But this I know, if we keep trying and keep trying and keep trying and keep failing every time we try, it does cause our heart to become hard. But this is where Jesus is into the business of bringing change that we can't do in our own strength. The third one is worship. Who or what we worship. And this has to do with what Ezekiel calls the idols of our heart. Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 2 to 3 says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, these men have set up idols in their heart and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. 
You say, yeah, but Tony, that's Old Testament. We don't have golden calves. We don't have idols. Not in 2017. Let me give you Tim Keller's definition of what an idol is. An idol is anything that is more important than God. That absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. And anything that you seek to get that only God can give. This definition suggests to me and to us that there are lots and lots of idols. These idols are the battle that you have between you and God. Between God and it or God and them. Maybe you found yourself saying, oh, you just make me feel so special. That's great. But the moment they make you feel more special than you feel when you're around God, that's an idol. I love my wife and she makes me feel special. Especially when she returns home from Melbourne, having not seen her for a little while. Special. But it's not in the same category as God. It makes me feel so good. That word, it could be anything. It could be the thrill you get in doing a workout. It could be the thrill you get in a relationship. It could be the thrill you get in eating something. It just makes me feel so good. If it makes you feel better than it does with God, it's an idol. They make me feel so important. If they make you feel more important than God, that is an idol. Whatever you get your love, identity or approval from, you will put first. When Jesus was baptised, the voice from heaven came and said, this is my son whom I love and with him I'm well pleased. This is my son whom I love and I'm well pleased. His identity, acceptance and approval came from God. The moment you try and get your identity, acceptance and approval from anyone or anything else, it's an idol. And these idols create hardness of heart. There are lots of Australian idols. Sport is an Australian idol. People worship sport. They will never miss a game. They'll never complain about the price. They'll just go. But church will come if and when we want. We'll give if and when we want. It's an idol. How do you deal with these things in our lives? Can we have the band come? Three things very quickly. Number one, you need to repent. The reason some things have not changed is that you love something more than your future right now. See, we have to be willing to admit that. You'll never overcome what you don't acknowledge. When I was in the chapel sharing this, and I talked about anger. Someone just couldn't help themselves in the congregation. They said, oh, that's me. And I said, you are one step closer to anyone else in our service right now in getting healed because it always starts with identifying what it is in our life. So you may not like being overweight, but I don't want to be overweight. But the reality is 
you do like eating junk food. You might say, I, I, I don't want to be lazy. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I don't want to be lazy anymore. The trouble is, you really like your afternoon naps and morning ones. You don't want to be, but there's things about what you don't want to be that you still like doing. You might know that you have a certain friend in your world that is toxic. I know they're toxic, but you love the benefits. Oh, we love friends with benefits. Until you know what you like about what you hate, you won't be able to change what you hate. So we're going to go deeper today. Until you know what you like about what you hate, you won't be able to change what you hate. Until you love your destiny more, you won't change. So the first thing we need to do is repent. Secondly, remove. We need to remove ourselves from the toxic environments surrounding and relationships. We've got to get out of those situations. If you're struggling with alcohol, you can't go to the pub. Sorry, it's not, it's, we're not a cult. We're not telling you what to do. It's just common sense. We're responding to your cry for help and here's the pathway. That has been so misused against our church and other churches when they speak into your life based on a cry for help and you start speaking pathways and when it gets too hard, we say, they make you stick with the pathway. You can't hang around certain people. You can't go to certain places. And thirdly, you need to replace. It's not enough just to remove yourself from certain situations. You've got to then put yourself in the right place. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 43, Jesus does a little bit of a teaching off the back of seeing a man delivered from demonic oppression. And he says this, he says, When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied swept clean and put in order. He's saying a house that is clean, ordered and unoccupied is vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. It's a great place to start, to be clean, ordered and unoccupied. That means you've removed what you need to remove. But if we don't replace a bad habit with a good habit, the bad habit will come back. And Jesus said seven times stronger. So sometimes we make the effort and we feel worse off. We feel seven times worse off. And that's why I want to encourage you, when you start this process, stay with the process. When you start this pathway, stay with the pathway. We need to live a God first lifestyle. And a God-first lifestyle will be revealed in our priorities and our schedule. What does a God-first lifestyle look like? Three things, quickly and we're done. Number one, you've got to give God the first day of every week. If we're serious about replacing, you've got to do this. We give God the first day of our week. Kath and I have been on holidays. But it's amazing on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, it's the New Testament Sabbath. We celebrate what Jesus did for us, rose again from the dead. That's our day of, that's our day of recognition. That's our day where we worship together 
as the family of God. On our holidays, we found ourselves in the house of God, first day of the week. This isn't something I do as a pastor. It's something I do as a believer. Man, Kath and I must be crazy because on our holidays, we went in the morning and at night. And yes, we're one of those crazy people who even go to the gym on our holidays with that one too. I mean, we're crazy. But a God-first lifestyle will give God the first day of every week. You don't go to church when you feel like it. What you do first is an expression of your faith. Secondly, you give God the first part of every day. We're talking about what is a God-first lifestyle. You give Him the first day of the week, you give Him the first part of the day. Remember, what we do first is an expression of what we have faith in. What we do first is an expression of what we love most. I know this is a struggle for many of you, particularly the young ones. Read the Bible, social media. Social media, read the Bible. What you do first is what's most important. And lastly, we give God the first fruit of our income. And this is probably the biggest Australian idol there is, money. The love of money. What we do first says what's most important. And so we have an opportunity to live a godly lifestyle by giving Him the first day of the week, the first part of the day, and the first part of our income. This is how I would replace that which has been removed, if we're serious. And as we do it, those hard areas of our heart become softer and more pliable. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 